We are in week two of our series called Saved uh, to Serve. And what we're doing is we're looking at uh, the second letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, uh, 2 Corinthians. And, and we're looking at, under this theme, Saved to Serve. The big idea is that we know Jesus died. We know that he rose from the dead. We just celebrated it two weeks ago on Easter. And so now what? Now we have been saved to serve. And Paul in 2 Corinthians really explains this well, all the different applications of how we can serve in our lives as a Christian church and individually. And he keeps weaving in that gospel message. Jesus has died. Jesus has rose again. We are saved. Now it means this. And as we as a group who are saved serve, it's a powerful thing. Any group that is united around something is powerful. It's what, uh, if you know the Peanuts comics, Charlie Brown, it's illustrated so great in, in one of the cartoons. Lucy comes in one, one day while Linus is watching TV, and Lucy comes in and says, change the channel. And Linus says, what makes you think you can just come in and take over? And she goes, I'll give you five reasons. Individually, they're nothing. But when I curl them all into the, a fist, they form a unit, a deadly weapon to behold. And Linus says, what channel did you want? And then he looks off to the side of his own fingers and says, why can't you guys unite like that? A united group is powerful. A group united around the message of the resurrection is even more powerful. To be sure, the gospel is powerful in and of itself. Paul calls it, in, in Romans, uh, he says, it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Talking about the gospel message, the, the message of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. It is powerful by itself. But when we as a group are united with that powerful message of Jesus, it's a deadly weapon to Satan as we push back Satan's kingdom and expand God's kingdom, the big C church, with the message of Jesus. This is why Satan works so hard. This is why Satan schemes so deviously to break up the group that is known as the church. This is why he wants so badly for there to be fractured relationships because if he can fracture them, it loses its power. And so that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at Satan's schemes. How does he cause disunity? Why does he cause disunity? And what's the cure? And as you can imagine, because we're in 2 Corinthians, this was happening in the Corinthian church. There was disunity. And it actually started with the Apostle Paul. Paul was going on a missionary journey, and he told the Corinthian church that he was going to start by starting at the Corinthian church to build them up, to say hello, to bring them the message of Jesus. He was going to go north and then circle back around and end his missionary journey in Corinth and then head home. He gets to Corinth, and he has to come with a verbal whip. Instead of encouraging, he has to bring the law because there was some big-time sins going on in the Corinthian church. One of them was a guy 
who was sleeping with his father's wife and then coming to church and bragging about it. And so Paul had to come in and lay down the law in a lot of aspects, and there wasn't a lot of encouragement from Paul. It was a lot of law. And then Paul left. And because it was such a quick turnaround, Paul didn't want to come back on that second time, right before, at the end of his journey, and have to come with another verbal whip, and it just be discouragement after discouragement from Paul. And so he decided to change his plans, to give them time to figure out what's going on in their church. So after he leaves, he goes on his missionary journey, and then he goes home instead of coming back, and the Corinthians get upset. They get upset at Paul, and disunity happens. They start questioning him. They start wondering about him, questioning his love, questioning his commitment, and questioning Paul's uh, trustworthiness. And that's what Paul is taking on in uh, verse 17 through 24 of chapter 1. And so that's what we're picking up. Here's what Paul says. Was I fickle when I intended to do this? Come back the second time he's talking about. Or do I make plans in a worldly manner so that in the same breath I say both yes, yes, and no, no. But as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. Paul says, was, was I fickle? Am I making plans in a worldly manner? A worldly manner is saying, yes, I'm, I'm going to do it, and then not follow through, knowing that I'm, you're not going to follow through. But the reality is, Paul didn't follow through on what he said he was going to follow through on, and it caused disunity. This is what Satan uses to cause disunity in a church. It's your first point today. Broken promises lead to disunity. Even though Paul had good intentions, he didn't follow through on what he told them he was going to follow through on, and the Corinthians were offended by it. And Satan loves when this happens. And Satan uses both aspects to cause disunity around broken promises. He uses selfishness, and then he uses a spirit of offense. We understand where Paul is coming from. We've all been there. We've all been there where we've said we're going to do something, and even though we had good intentions, we didn't follow through on what we said we were going to follow through on. It could have even been a good excuse, which is what Paul had. We still know what that's like. We know where Paul is coming from. And yes, sometimes our excuses are good ones, but other times, it's just selfishness. I say I'm going to do something, but then when the time comes, I don't really want to do that thing anymore. So I don't follow through. I promise I'm going to do something, but then something better comes up, and so I don't show up. Or maybe it's because I don't like to disappoint you. And so to your face, I'll say, yeah, I'm going to do that, but I know deep down I'm not going to do it, and I'd rather you be disappointed not in my face, and I'd rather be apart from you than to see the disappointment and just be honest up front and say, I'm not going to do that. That's still not following through on what we say we're going to, and it causes disunity, and it's all because of selfishness. 
We want to follow through on what we say. Why? Because if people can't trust us, what does it mean for the promises of God? Satan loves to use selfishness to break promises. But he also likes to use the other end of things, which is the Corinthian side. The Corinthians responded with a spirit of offense. Instead of taking Paul's words and actions in the kindest possible way, they took them in the worst way. Instead of assuming that Paul had good reason for doing what he's doing, they assumed the worst. They talked poorly about him. They got bitter and angry. And they called his character into question. As we do life together as a church, as a group of people, the reality is at some point someone's going to let you down. As you look around the people sitting here today, someone will let you down. Someone will say, I'm going to do this and then not follow through. And if they don't, I promise you I will. Not intentionally, but I will. Because I suffer from the same thing that you do, and that's sin. Just ask any of our longtime members and I guarantee you they will say, yeah, pastor let me down this one time, or a couple times. And in that moment, we can respond with a spirit of offense or a spirit of grace. We can take people's words and actions in the worst possible way. We can get bitter and angry at them. We can be unforgiving. We can assume the worst of them. Or we can show a spirit of grace and assume the best. Take their words and actions in the kindest possible way. Be forgiving. Broken promises. That's what's going on in the Corinthian churches. All this disunity around Paul saying, I'm coming, now I'm not coming. And there's all this lack of trust now, all this hurt feelings, all because a promise was broken and Satan is loving it. Because the group is, is disjointed, is no longer united. This is how Satan causes disunity over broken promises. But why? Yes, because when the group isn't united, it's not as powerful. But there's even a deeper reason. And I hinted at it already. If we can't be trusted, if promises are broken and that's just what happens, we, we live in a world with broken promises then Satan can get us to doubt the promises of God. Satan causes disunity by broken promises. Why? Because if what we're used to is broken promises, can you really trust the promises of God? Can you really trust the person who's telling you the promises of God? Can you trust them? Are they true? And that's what was happening in the Corinthian church. They said, Paul, look, you broke your promise. You said you were coming back, and now you didn't. Are you trustworthy when you tell us about Jesus? Can we trust you when you're telling us the promises of God? And that's what Paul talks about in verses uh, 20 and following, or 19 and following. Here's what he says. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me, and Silas and Timothy was not yes and no, but in him it has always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, 
the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. I call God as my witness, and I stake my life on it, that it was in order to spare you that I did not return to Corinth. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, because it is by faith you stand firm. Paul says, I'm not going to defend myself right now. First, I want to point you to Jesus. First, I want you to point you to the promises of God and understand that God's promises are not true because Paul says it. They're not true because Stephen Apt says them. They're not true because you say them. God's promises are true, and they are a yes only because of Jesus Christ. Paul says, take your eyes off me. You don't want to trust me? Fine. But understand, the promises of God are valid through Jesus. And because of Jesus, you can count on every promise that God makes to you. And that's the second point today. In a world of broken promises, God can be counted on. In a world of broken promises, God can be counted on. In 1994, a carpenter named Russell Herman passed away at the age of 64. When he died, he was, before he died, he was telling people about his last will and testament. And he was saying that the town of Cave in Iraq... He was giving one or two point four billion dollars to for res, uh, renovations. He gave St. Louis two point four billion dollars for renovations, and he gave the southeastern part of Illinois one point five billion for road constructions. And then, in his final act of, of generosity, he gave the Federal Reserve six trillion dollars to erase the national debt at the time. As you can imagine, people were pretty excited on the day that uh, he passed away, unfortunately, because they were going to get all this money. The only problem, when he died, the only thing he owned was a 1983 old Tornado. That was it. He couldn't follow through on his promises. And isn't that the type of world we live in? A world filled with broken promises, where people say things, they guarantee things, and then they don't follow through. Men's Warehouse, what's their, what's their uh, tagline, their slogan? You're going to like the way you look. We guarantee it. I got news for you. I've tried on some Men's Warehouse shirts that I don't really like the way I look in. And so that guarantee means nothing. In a world filled with broken promises, God's promises can be counted on. One, because he has the resources to fulfill them. But number two, because of Jesus. Because of Jesus, every promise that God makes to you is a yes. Because of Jesus, God promises you that your sins are forgiven. And they are. Not because you were more moral this week than you were last week. Not because of what you've given to church. Not because of what you've done or haven't done. You're forgiven because of Jesus. That's God's promise. Because of Jesus, you and your loved ones are going to rise from the dead. Not based on how God's feeling at the end of the world, but because of Jesus. Because Jesus rose from the dead. 
God calls you and promises that you are his child, not because you're worth more than other people, but because of Jesus. That promise is a yes because of him. Every promise that God makes to you is a yes because of Jesus. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about Paul. It's all about Jesus. And Jesus never changes. And so all of God's promises to you are yes. And God even gives us a guarantee. Do you see what he says in verses 21 and 22? Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Paul says God anointed us. Anointing is what happened in the Old Testament when a priest and a king uh, was coming into service. God had them anointed so that the people saw that they were set apart for service to God. Paul says he set his seal of ownership on us. Today we, we sign things. In those days, they sealed it. You stamp it as, yes, this is from me. Paul says God put his seal on you. And then finally, he put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Ann and I just refinanced our house. And if you refinance or if you buy a house, uh, what do you have to do when you come to closing? You have to put down a down payment. It's guaranteeing the mortgage company, the bank, that there's more to come. Not only all the principal that is coming, but also all the interest that's going to come with it. You are guaranteeing there's more to come. God has guaranteed you that there is more to come. And what's the more to come? All the glories of heaven. And what's his guarantee? He's deposited his Holy Spirit. He's put the Holy Spirit in your heart as a down payment. When did all this happen? At your baptism. There God anointed you. He washed you and anointed you, set you apart for service to him. There, he put his seal on you as he adopted you as his child. There, he put his Holy Spirit in your heart as the down payment of more to come. All the promises in baptism, all the promises that Jesus makes to you are yours, and God says, here, I guarantee it. It's yours. There's more to come. The glories of heaven, which are yes because of Jesus. You see, we, as a group, we simply say the amen, Paul says. That's what he says in verse 20. No matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ, and so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. We simply say yes, let it be so. It's true. God is the one who makes the promises and fulfills the promises. And it's the promises of God that unite us. And that's your last point. Standing firm on God's promises brings unity. Why are we united? Not because there's no sin in here. Not because there's no fraction. Not because we keep our promises perfectly. We are united because of the promises of God that we stand firm on. 
That is what unites us. Look what Paul says in verse 21. It's God who makes us and you stand firm. And we work with you for the joy of your salvation. It is the promises of God that bring unity. So that as we're doing life together, as we're growing together, when someone disappoints us, we stand firm on the promise of God that we are in the hands of the God of all comfort, that He can comfort us in all our troubles and sufferings. And so we can forgive. It is the promises of God that unite us as we know that God's forgiven me just like He's forgiven you. It's the promises of God that unite us where I stand here and you sit there and we together stand saying God's deposited His Holy Spirit in your heart like He has mine. And He's guaranteed both of us the same thing, the glories of heaven. It's the promises of God that unite us where we want to keep our promises, where we want to follow through on what we're going to say or what we say we're going to do because we want nobody to question the promises of God. And He can give us the strength to carry those out. It's the promises of God that unite us. And when we stand firm on them, we will be a united group around the message of the death and resurrection of our Savior. And that is a deadly weapon for Satan to behold. And so let's stand firm on those promises. Let's be united around the promises of God as we work through sin together, as we work through disappointments together, knowing that the God of all grace, the God of all comfort, can and will comfort us in all our troubles. Let's ask God's blessings on us this week. Father in heaven, we thank you for your promises that we can stand firm on. They never change. They're not different from day to day. But your promises are always true because of Jesus. They are a yes in Christ. And we thank you for that. Uh, no matter what happens in our life, we know that we can count on you. And we know for sure that your promises are for sure now. And they will be for sure later on. We thank you that they're always a yes. And that gives us such confidence today as we live. That gives us comfort as we deal with sin. Uh, that emboldens us and gives us confidence to carry out what we say we're going to do. That gives us confidence to grow together, be vulnerable together, and have hard conversations when we need to. We also thank you that because of Jesus and those promises, we get to uh, encourage one another with the wonderful message that our sins are forgiven and death has been conquered. Help us to stand firm on these promises, and through that, let us be united uh, united together uh, so that Satan isn't causing fractures among us, but we are united as we stand firm in Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.